1: Philippines. Nothing personal. Word of the day is Philippines, as in the country. This is not coronavirus related at all. This actually has to do with Tim Tebow and the World Baseball Classic. Would you believe there's a rule in place that because Tim Tebow's parents were missionaries in the Philippines in 1987 when Tebow was born, he then gets to play for the Philippines in the WBC qualifier? Sagupin Anger-Raw is what I would say to that, which is carpe diem. Seize the day. The Philippines are seizing the day. Tebow, who got his first spring training home run, will be a valuable addition, a huge marketing component for the Philippines. Second only to the possibility, what I've heard off the record, is that Manny Pacquiao will also play for the WBC qualifying team. Now, you didn't hear that from me. All I'm saying is there's a lot of attention now on the Philippines. And believe you me, it has nothing to do with Corona. Attention, everybody. Everybody keep calm. We've got Tom Brady news. We are hearing today that it is more likely than not that Tom Brady will not return to the New England Patriots. Take a minute. Everybody breathe. If you've been watching CBS Sports HQ or listening to nothing personal or even watching it later in the day, you know that we've told you before that Tom Brady shouldn't be going back to the New England Patriots because the New England Patriots are too smart to have Tom Brady return to their team. They realize their window with him has completely closed. They realize that all of these teams, we are reporting that a plethora of teams are interested in Tom Brady. We are waiting his free agency decision the way we waited for LeBron James to take his talents to South Beach. What's the big difference? When LeBron James made a decision, there were titles that were going to come with it. Now, with Tom Brady making his decision, I'll tell you, it's not a wait to see, because you got to wait to see my wait to see. Listen to the whole show. Tom Brady will not get another ring. He is not able to lead another team to the Super Bowl to a victory. He is not that type of player anymore. So why is there so much interest? Why is it that as football fans, we are waiting and he's playing with us. He's Instagramming out photos of him walking in a stadium, out of a stadium. It was a commercial. He's telling us that he may stay, he may not stay. We're reading comments. That because of the new CBA negotiation where a vote hasn't taken place, rumor has it, that's why there have been no discussions between the Patriots and Tom Brady? Well, I would just like to tell you that as a former team president, you don't need to wait for a CBA to contact your franchise, Hall of Fame, all-time, Mount Rushmore, greatest of all time, GOAT, because there's no CBA or there could be new rules so you don't know how to structure your contract? Here's what you do if you're Robert Kraft or Bill Belichick. I love the picture of Belichick yesterday in the rain. It was great eye wash for me. He was in the rain with his parka, not his going out shirt that we saw those three times. He actually went out on a date. I'm talking about his parka. He was getting wet. He was watching some players get ready for the draft. That's great, Bill. I'm happy. However, you don't have time to speak to Tom Brady. Of course you do. Robert Kraft, you have plenty of time. Plenty. Like you have an extra two to five minutes every single day that you could be actually calling Tom Brady. So here's what I would do. Pick up the phone and tell him. Tell him what your intention is. It's okay if you don't plan on resigning him. That doesn't take away from what he did for your franchise. Because you're going to tell him we're moving on. Then you're going to tell him we want to retire your jersey. Then you're going to tell him he's going in the ring of honor. All of the things that make him a patriot for life. Would you prefer him to retire? Absolutely. Do you want to see him in a Titans uniform? Absolutely not. But is it something that the Patriots are going to go away from what they know, which is winning? Go away from what they know, which is making smart, good decisions, with a few exceptions that they then make like five minutes later. I'm talking about A.B. Yes, I am. So all of the news that's going on right now for me is not news at all. And all of the NFL executives who are watching this and all of the players who are watching it are just smiling because we're spending all this time saying, what are the chances? Is it really possible that Tom Brady's going to leave New England? Will he ever put on a different jersey? Players don't actually think that way. When a player tells you that it means something to them to play for the same team for an entire career, what that means is they want a long-term contract covering years past their ability to be fully impactful and effective. That's all they're saying. It is nice when after the fact, you've got players who only played for one organization. I get it. I get the importance of Jeter with the Yankees. I really do. I get the importance of trying, let's say, Mike Trout spending his entire career with the Los Angeles Angels. I get it. But as an executive, you don't really focus on that. The emotion of having Tom Brady on your team has now dissipated because what is the best thing that could happen? He's going to re-sign for $30 million a year. You're going to have to give him a two-year deal. When you know that's going to hamper your ability to actually compete, the Lakers will do that. The Dodgers will do that. The New England Patriots, in my opinion, have no chance of doing that. So the next time you're out there reading all about Tom Brady, wondering what are the chances he leaves New England, here's the answer. Put a one up, put two zeros up, put them together 100%. He wants to be loved. He's going to get loved in a different camp with a different jersey on. And you're looking at eight, the magic number. That's how many wins he'll have with his new team. Attention, all Yankees fans. Sorry. I'm going to take a quarter of the blame for the fact that Giancarlo Stanton is hurt and he's got Yankee pinstripes. I'm going to take three quarters of the credit, but one quarter of the blame. Here's the backstory. Several years ago, like six years ago, five years ago, the Marlins signed Giancarlo Stanton to a 13-year, $325 million contract. It was the largest contract in the history of pro sports at the time, $325 million. Part of that contract was an opt-out after six years, which coincidentally is after the 2020 season, which at the time seemed one year after Armageddon. But actually, the time is now. We knew Giancarlo Stanton had a history of injuries, some of his own making, some not. When you get hit in the face by a fastball from Mike Fires, that's not your fault, although he did open up on that pitch and he knows it. When you tear a hamstring or you have a strained calf or, or your ribs or any of the other possible injuries, that's not necessarily your fault. It's not a chronic part of the body that's failing. That's the scary part for Giancarlo Stanton, that it's always a different part of his body. He hurts something downstairs and then upstairs gets hurt while he's rehabbing downstairs. He gave a great interview yesterday where he talked about the fact that it's like going back to square one all the time and how frustrating it is. Now, granted, every two weeks he's not frustrated, but that doesn't start until April 1. So what do the Yankees do now? So why do I tell you that I take a quarter? We signed him to that deal. We kept the Marlins, kept him. He played. We couldn't win with yell at Stanton, Ozuna, never won 81 games. The team gets sold to Jeter. They say we've got to trade him. Their president of baseball operations, Michael Hill, trades Giancarlo Stanton not once, not twice, three times. Stanton was traded to the San Francisco Giants. Stanton turned it down. He was traded to the St. Louis Cardinals. Stanton turned it down. Then he was traded to the New York Yankees. The funny part is Mike Hill and the Marlins knew exactly what Stanton was going to do because Stanton told them and he told me he will not play for the Giants or the Cardinals. He had a list of four teams, basically, that he would play for. The Yankees, the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Dodgers. Yankees, Yankees, Dodgers, Dodgers. Sorry, that's two teams. Two teams. So the fact is that he was in control because of the no trade clause that For the first time in my career we gave to a player on a multi-year deal. Fast forward to the fact that Michael Hill was able to get him traded to the Yankees and the Marlins were able to shed all of that money regardless of what they got back. He comes in off his MVP year and he has been a problem with the Yankees. Obviously last year he struggled. He only played, he didn't even get to 20 games played. Now there's news he's injured again and the one-two punch of Stanton and Judge is very much in jeopardy for the beginning of this season. But is Brian Cashman, Hal Steinbrenner, are they despondent right now because he hurt his calf, grade one, mild? No. What they're despondent about, and they're not going to admit this ever, but I promise, is that he now has zero chance of opting out. I think after two years, it's been very clear to the Yankees that the $210 million over seven years that Stanton is owed, starting in 2021, that he will not be able to get that on the open market. As a result of that, he will not opt out of his contract. When we were negotiating that original opt-out, we said to them, we don't want to give you an opt-out. We want you to be on the Marlins for all 13 years. And Stanton said to me privately and to us when we were negotiating the contract, he said, I need that opt-out because I need to know that the Marlins are going to do everything they can to try to be competitive year in and year out. I don't want to be a part of a rebuild. I don't want to be here if I'm making $30 million and I can't have anyone else around me who's good. There has to be enough money left over. You have to show me that you're trying. I didn't believe you, Giancarlo, and I've spoken to you about this personally. I've spoken to your agent, who to me is the best agent in baseball. His name is Joel Wolfe, and I told you that that opt-out you were going to use as a sword, and you told me you were going to use the opt-out as a shield. I disagreed with you because opt-outs are always used as swords to try to make more money. How do I know this? Because after I was out of the game, you then told the current Marlins, they sat you down and said, listen, you don't want to get traded to the Cardinals or to the Giants. You're going to rot here in Miami because we're taking the payroll down. And you are going to rot here because you're going to get your $30 million, but we're going to surround you with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. That was my favorite expression that we would say to players. Like, who's starting tonight? Oh, it's Dopey. In Montreal, our first year, and this is with all due respect to Mike Thurman and Jeremy Powell and Dustin Hermanson, but our starting rotation was Javier Vasquez and then the four dwarfs. That's not... I, don't look at me like I'm on ESPN Cleveland. I'm not calling them actual midgets or dwarfs. I understand it's vertically challenged. That's. I'm not talking about their height. It's an expression about Snopey. And dopey, snoopy. They were just bad. That's what we were going to tell Stanton. That's what Stanton was told. And do you know what Stanton said? Fine. I'll stay in Miami. I will go to the Yankees, the Yankees, the Dodgers, or the Dodgers. So I guess it's true that he didn't need to be on a competitive team. I guess it's true that what he was more concerned about is where he was going to be. He was happy and comfortable in Miami. He wanted to be in either LA or New York, cosmopolitan cities for a cosmopolitan guy. I get it. I don't know that I would want to spend six months a year in St. Louis, although it's only 81 games. And I love St. Louis. I have family there. But if you're a baseball player, does it actually matter where you play? Do you want that much control? That much that you'd be willing to stay in Miami, play for a team that had zero chance of competing? That's what Stanton was willing to do, and that's what I've talked to him about. Why would you want to stay in a place where you can't win a ring, but you tell me that winning matters, that winning's everything? Don't tell me you studied the Giants organization and knew that they weren't going to be good. The Cardinals went to the LCS. Imagine if you had been on that Cardinals team instead of Ozuna. The only reason Ozuna is on the Cardinals team is you got traded to the Yankees so then Ozuna could get traded to the Cardinals by the Marlins when they had to trade Ozuna too. So all of it is very up in the air. And what it all means is that Stanton is not going to opt out of his contract, that he's going to be on the Yankees for the next seven years. And the Yankees can withstand that sort of contract. They've had it before with A-Rod. They've signed big contracts before. But it is very frustrating as an owner to look at your team because you get two sheets given to you, at least I did, every single day. I had one sheet of the active roster, And next to that active roster, I had their stats and I had their salaries. And then I had a sheet of our disabled list and the stats and the salaries and the expected amount of time on the actual disabled list. It is very hard to look at your star, most highly paid player every single day on the DL for one reason or another. It's hard when you get the injury report emailed to your email every day and he's on it. And it's status. That's how we would get our injury report status. We only had one set of injury reports, by the way, one set of medical reports. We had one team doctor, two trainers. We had no, no skeletons in the closet of any kind, no double records like the Padres had. We had one email, one set of reports, status, colon, Stanton, unable. It's frustrating. Okay, there's some misinformation going out. We're going to clear it up here on HQ. If you're listening to Nothing Personal, we appreciate that, of course, too. Here's something that you have to know. Uh, The Houston Astros have been getting hit by pitches, and everybody is saying, ah, of course they are. This is players taking punishment into their own hands. This is players purposefully hitting the Houston Astros. Can I assuage you of this point of view, please? May I tell you that the Astros are being hit basically the same as the Reds, the Tigers, the Phillies? And it has nothing to do. Jose Urania is a Marlins player. You know him. He started opening day, then he was sent to the bullpen. Then he was the closer who couldn't close. Now he may start, maybe in the bullpen. Should have been non-tendered, wasn't non-tendered. That guy, no control. Remember, we talked on nothing personal yesterday? you were watching, maybe even on HQ, when we say, hey, sometimes pitchers don't know where it's going, like 50% of the time with 50% of the pitchers. Well, yesterday or two days ago, Urania hit an uh, an Astro, right? He didn't know where it was going. He wasn't sending a message. These teams are not sending messages during spring training when they're hitting guys on 3-2 breaking balls. I'd like to teach you all because members of the media don't get it. So I want you all to hear it. If you're going to hit a player and it's going to be a message, it's going to be this. I'm holding one finger and pointing it down. And then I'm going to set my catcher outside, outside. And then it's going to go inside as though he missed his spot. And it's going to hit the player right in the numbers or right on the backside. And it's going to be a fastball. It's not going to be a bender on 3-2. Those are pitches that get away. It's not going to be a slider. It's not going to be a changeup. You're going to doink them exactly where you want to. So all of the narrative that we're all feeling right now about all of this, it's, it's like the Wild West. We're going to take it into our own hands. Well, we would meet with our team and that's what's happening. Managers are meeting. GMs are meeting with their teams and saying, listen, that's not what we're going to do. Because any time we wanted to go headhunting, which is only an expression, unless you're Tony Larusa, in which case it's a way of life, if you're going to go headhunting, which is what we called it when we just wanted to hit someone right in the numbers, or right on the butt, we are having a team meeting, we are explaining what we're doing, and then we are assigning the pitcher to do it at an exact time against an exact player. It is not sort of, oh, this seems like a good idea, well, why don't we maybe do it now? it is completely premeditated. Every time any pitcher who wants to stand up and tell you, oh, I didn't know I was going to do it. Any front office person who tells you I had no idea that my team was doing it. Any manager who tells you, hey, my players take it into their own hands. They're all lying to you. They don't want culpability. There's not one executive I've come across, not one team I've ever come across where there was a question about hit-by-pitches and who was doing it when it was being done. So the moral of the story is, for the rest of the season, I commit to you, the audience, I will not bring up every time an Astros player gets hit by a pitch. It's going to get boring. It's going to get monotonous. I'm not saying to take the over. I think it's like 83-and-a-half or 86-and-a-half over how many times the Astros will get hit by pitch. I'm not saying take it. We're not doing our prop picks of the day right now. I'm saying I'm not going to do a segment every single time the way right now on Twitter, on social media, articles are being written about how unbelievable it is that the Astros are being singled out. Except look at the stats. Like I wrote them down right here on my piece of paper. You know, it's frustrating. Here's why. Let me, let me, let me end. I've got one minute on this and that's all I want to give you. The Houston Astros cheated. They acknowledge it. We acknowledge it. We knew it. Baseball knew it. Everybody knew it. We didn't do anything to stop it as much as we tried. We tried to copy it maybe and just didn't do it well enough. Right now, you've got pitchers and players from other teams who are saying, we should have won, we could have won, we had no way we would ever know that we could ever win in Houston with what they were doing. Don't buy into any of that. It's excuses. What the Astros did is beyond reproach. You cannot change the past. You cannot go back and say, if you are a player, that no matter what, we would have won games in Houston or a playoff series against the Astros you can't go back and do it. And all you're doing is hurting the game of baseball right now by continuing to talk about it and pound it. Let's talk about what happened. Let's talk about contrition. Let's talk about changing the future. Let's not speculate on what would have happened had everyone done everything differently. It's not helpful, and I'm not going to be a part of it. Thank you. So Major League Baseball is quite aware, obviously, of what's going on. They're aware that the Astros are quite a topic of conversation. They're aware that there's very little. Is anyone focused? Who's got the best record in spring training? Anybody know? It happens to be the Marlins who are 5-0 and oh at the time of this live-to-tape 45-minute extravaganza. Did anyone know? Does anyone care? You shouldn't. Winning the Grapefruit League doesn't matter. Or the Cactus League there's not been a lot of attention on anything going on on the field. The attention has all been off the field. So MLB is continuing to try to turn around their PR. And to turn around their PR, the first thing they have to do is see if they can get people to stop talking about sign stealing. So MLB, in its inimitable fashion, making me laugh, they're trying to deflect some of the attention and they've come out with a good story. We are going to see a crackdown on pitchers who use foreign substances. Let me explain what foreign substances are. Have you ever seen the movie Major League? Major League with Serrano, the guy from the Geico commercial, and Corbin Burnson from LA Law, and Charlie Sheen from the Insane Asylum, that group of people. They were in a movie called Major League. There was a pitcher. He would uh, He was old, and he had all sorts of foreign substances on his body, when you took his shirt off, he had a patch of, of, of lotion on one shoulder. He had what looked like pine tar on his belly. He had all sorts of things everywhere. And uh, the manager said, how you feeling? And the pitcher would say, hey, I'm giving him everything I got. Skipper, I don't got no more junk. That's actually real. Pitchers use things all the time every day. We watch it. Why do teams who play with a retractable roof, need sunscreen in the training room? I'd like, I'd like that question answered. Anybody? A team with a retractable roof playing night games, needing sunscreen. Hmm. Let me think about that. What about KY jelly? I'm not talking about home use. I'm talking about in a clubhouse. What would be the reason for that? What about pine tar? Pine tar is good. You know what Pintar does? Yes, it does. Pine Tar helps your grip. Have you ever seen the players who have the Pintar covering the logo on the helmet? Not allowed. We tried to stop it. Hanley Ramirez, Martin Prado, great players. They would, you couldn't even see what team they were playing for, maybe purposeful, but they had Pintar everywhere. Pintar on the jerseys. Well, there are pitchers who put Pintar inside their uniform. There are pitchers who put nail files in their pockets. There are pitchers who put sandpaper in their hats. All of these things are used to doctor the ball. The reason why you want the ball doctored is it helps grip it. Therefore, it helps spin it. The most successful pitchers in Major League Baseball do not throw 100 miles an hour and have that as their only pitch. Having a fastball is only good if you can match it with a changeup. Having a fastball is only good if you've got a knee-buckling breaking ball. And the way to get a ball to break and the way to get spin on it is to make sure that you have a proper grip. Baseballs are super hard to grip. It's hard to grip when it's cold. It's hard to grip if they're made a certain way and the seams are not lined up in a certain way. It's a very difficult proposition. Hitters will tell you they're fine with pitchers using foreign substances. This is the old days. In the old days, they're fine with pitchers using these substances because they don't really want to get hit. And pitchers can say, oh, it got away from me. I didn't have a good grip. So the question is, what is MLB trying to protect against? Are they protecting against pitchers throwing at hitters, hitters getting injured from errant pitches? Or are they protecting against pitchers from having too large an advantage now that no one can steal the signs? And by doctoring the ball, it will take some of the offense out of the game and if the offense is out of the game, that actually is bad for baseball because fans want offense. I used to love a 2 nothing game, but numbers tell me an 8-6 game is more attractive than a 2 nothing game. I get it. As a fan, as an executive, I want pitching and defense because I want rings. I'm not interested in anything but rings. And that's how to get it. Yes, the Twins hit all the home runs. You read about that today. The Minnesota Twins, we read that by pulling the ball, swinging out of their tushies. We read all that. But the way you win rings like the Twins couldn't, you hit the ball from gap to gap, and you run the bases, and you pitch, and you play good defense. So MLB had a decision to make, and they've gone this direction. They have decided that they are going to do everything they can to crack down on foreign substances. So do you know what they did? And this is where we laugh, and this is where you know it's not true. They said, you know what? We're leaving it in the discretion of the umpires. If the umpires believe that there is probable cause, and I don't mean that in a legal sense, if, because the way we did it, we would tell our manager, hey, go tell the crew chief that the opposing team's pitcher has a nail file in his back pocket. Go ask the umpire to feel up the pitcher because his hand is going to get squishy like he's taking out the insides of a fish he just caught. Go do that. We used to do that all the time. Sometimes we'd get it, sometimes we wouldn't. Sometimes the umpire would say we're good, sometimes we wouldn't. It would be the players who would be able to tell us, although when we're watching the game, we can tell if a certain player is doing something as a pitcher that he really has not been doing or he's not that good and his ball is spinning in a certain way or he's got something that's going that looks different, we can tell that they're doing something. So by the umpires keeping control of it, what? Is, how's that going to work? All right, here we go. Ready? We're in the middle of a game. We're at Yankee Stadium. Out comes Ron Renke, the new manager for the Boston Red Sox. And he says, hey, hey, Tanaka. Tanaka's got something. Check him out. He's, he's got pine tar underneath his jersey. Check it. The umpire will look and say, I don't see anything, coach. Let's say the coach is Ron. Hey, Ron, I don't see it. Don't see it. Hey, can you just go check? No, I don't see anything. Where's MLB in this? You can't protest that to MLB. We can call the head of umpire's supervisors. I, I'd call a guy named Peter Woodfork. I could go above him and call Dan Halem, even call a commissioner, but you wouldn't bother the commissioner over this, and say, hey, I believe pitchers are using foreign substances, and do you know what I'm going to be told? Eh, what am I supposed to do about that? They're not going to do anything. It's eyewash. It's deflection. Don't buy it. You won't see any more pitchers ejected from games because they're using foreign substances this year. I guarantee that. The 82-game preseason is in the books, and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. From what you've seen so far, do you think they'll be a first-time winner of the NBA championship? If the Pacers, Clippers, Suns, Magic, Pelicans, or T-Wolves win, you win at plus 650. That's six teams to root for, six chances to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code Samson. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SAMSON, only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, Coet in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms and responsible gaming resources. Okay, so you want to talk to Samson. This is going to be a funny segment because it's going to be true. They're all true, but this one will just be funnier. So people follow me on, at David P. Sampson on Twitter. Thank you. And go into my DMs and give me some topics. I couldn't believe this topic when I got it sent to me, so I had to go right on the air with it. Someone said, why on earth did you hire Coca to be your producer? That was an actual tweet in my DM from somebody. I assume it's not a relative of Coca, though I have no idea. It could have been... I don't know. Does Jess follow me? Uh, Maybe, maybe, maybe maybe not. I don't know. But the reality is, I'm going to tell you the story of why Matthew Koch is the producer of Nothing Personal. You hear me talk about him. If you're new to Nothing Personal, thank you for downloading, subscribing, rating, reviewing. Bonus pod is coming up, by the way. At the end of this month, the end of this week, you'll get a bonus pod from the questions that you asked when you rated five stars on Apple, and then you wrote a review. And if I don't get your question this month, Hang in there maybe next month, but please go down on Apple and review it. If you don't have Apple, you can send me a DM. So the question is, hey, why Coca? He's the guy who's supposed to talk in my ear. He's the one I talk to about topics. We talk and and text all the time during the day. He is uh, 29 years old. Um, He and I have as much in common as the antelope and the ant, which is to say we have nothing in common. Our backgrounds are different. Our philosophies are different. Our politics are different. Our looks are different. Our feelings are different. Our emotions are different. Our knowledge is different. He's knowledgeable as a millennial fan. I'm knowledgeable as a boomer, actual someone who's done something. So from from a standpoint of sort of sort of, by the way, Coca has the power to cut this off. So if you're not hearing this, it's because he actually stopped the entire podcast. That's the irony is that this guy, Coca, is now in charge. So I sat with uh, CBS Sports HQ when this started. And uh, one of one of the guys who uh, the guy who really believed in me first, we call him Port. That's all you need to know. Port is his name. And I said, you know, let's talk about a show. And I had a bunch of ideas for a show that I wanted to do. And uh, the question was asked. Who would you want to work with? And I've been at CBS Sports HQ since the beginning, February 26th. Actually, my birthday, February 26th, two years ago, was the first day of CBS Sports HQ. HQ celebrated its two-year anniversary yesterday. The growth is phenomenal. The employees are unbelievable. Everyone's great here. I I can't tell you whether the management's great because I don't know who the management is. But all the people who do all the work... Unbelievable. Graphics, researchers, TDs, which are technical directors, don't know what they do. Producers, unbelievable. Not sure what they do except tell you when you have to stop talking. All of the commitment we have to HQ is all because we're all kids of Port. So Port said, listen, is there anyone around who you think you would work well with? And the lesson is, I wanted to find someone who is exactly the opposite of me. Because when you're having a partnership. The key is to find someone who compliments you, not who compliments you, right? Compliments, not compliments. Matt Koch's job as a producer is not to tell me how well every show went, to tell me how good I am or funny I am. His job is to tell me when I suck or when there's a mistake or what we can do better or what's important to talk about or what order should we talk about things? How many minutes should we spend on a segment? For example, When he knew I was going to talk about him, he said, that's a 40-minute segment. I said, Coca, you've got four. So in the remaining minute, I'll tell you that I wanted Coca from the beginning. He had worked on a bunch of shows. He's been at CBS for a number of years. He is a uh, graduate of West Virginia. He is a person who cares about this place, cares about this show, cares about you, the audience, more than anyone else I came across. He worked on a show with Cannell and Bell, Danny Cannell and Raja Bell, and I wanted to poach him from that show. I said to Port, I will do this show only if, only if Coca is the producer. We approached Coca, and naturally, he had a list of demands bigger than Joe Burrow's hand. Naturally, he had a desire to have complete control, editorial and otherwise, which I was more than happy because I wanted that as well. And naturally, he had the ability and understanding that we wanted to be independent with the platform of CBS HQ and with the help of everyone here at HQ, from top management on down, New York to Stanford to Fort Lauderdale. And Coca was simpatico with me. And we are the most unlikely couple. I am Tony Randall, and he is Jack Klugman. I am Jack Lemon, and he is Walter Matthau. You guys have no idea what I'm talking about, and I love it. Coca, the first thing Coca said in 32 minutes and 30 seconds is nope. That's what he just added that he has no idea. It's called the odd couple, and we truly are the odd couple, and we actually fight like a married couple. When we're off the air and talking about the show and he starts waxing poetic about certain points of view that are based on nothing but fantasy, his arguments fall apart like a brittle like brittle stones and sticks. He's got a room full of people who look at him with wonderment. Their eyes glaze over. They start tearing, wondering when in fact he'll shut up. And you know what I do? I smile. I smile because Coca, you're mine. And together we are delivering every single day content that people want to hear. And you're a huge part of it. That is why Matthew Coca is my producer and why we hired him. Thanks, Coca. All right. By the way, Coca, two people just clapped in the uh, studio audience, which really is people who work for CBS Sports HQ, and they were clapping for the sole reason they didn't want to hear your name one more damn time. Okay. Well, listen to that applause. All right. We've got a review. This is unreal. For an hour and a half when I wasn't sleeping after Netflix let it out yesterday, last night, this morning, Love is Blind. The finale came out, a a one-and-a-half-hour finale. I spent 10 hours of my life watching Love is Blind. Have you ever gone on a video and watched a train wreck, watched a person being electrocuted, watched a car accident, watched a snake eat a mouse? Anything that you can't believe you're watching, but you can't stop. That is what Love is Blind. The premise of Love is Blind is staggering. This would be the premise. You're listening to this show or watching me right now. This would be as though you were falling in love with me or I was falling in love with you without ever seeing me just by talking and hearing my voice. Love is Blind had people speed date in pods where they would talk with a wall in between and the goal was to find someone you liked, then fall in love Then get engaged and then get married. The kicker is you've got to. I'm coughing because it's impossibly true. Do one second, ready? Can you imagine the insanity of this? The premise of the show is you have to get on your knee and propose to someone in the pod across from you. They've got to say yes, then you get to meet the person. What would be your first thought? Is love blind? You've got Nick and Vanessa Lachey, who, by the way, have made it very clear that love is not blind. You've got them hosting the show. They sort of introduce it, then step out of the way. You've got a bunch of people who, all of whom look like they could be in Hollywood. There was not one ugly person, and ugly is a relative term, right? Ugly is in the eyes of the beholder. Everyone deserves love. I get all of it. I'm into all of it. I'm telling you, these people were out of central casting. This was not exactly where you were going to fall in love. Let's say that you had me on one side of the wall and Susan Anton. How about Bo Derrick on the other side? Someone who's, no one's heard of either one of those people. Who do I say? Taylor Swift. Does that help you? Say someone totally out of my league, 10 inches taller than I am, where there's no chance, nothing in common. That would be interesting if we could fall in love without ever seeing each other. And then, oh my God, it's Bo Derrick. The reality is, these were all people where you couldn't go wrong. They were all three degrees of crazy. There was something crazy about all of it. It made for amazing reality TV. And the thing is, I was curious about whether they would end up getting married. i They got me. And I'm someone who doesn't want to waste time. I'm telling you now, and I'm sorry. In advance, 10 hours of your life is gone. 10 hours. There's nothing I can do. Because you're going to watch it. And you will not be able to stop. Please accept my sincere apology. Congratulations to Kerwin Danley. Uh, Kerwin Danley was just named today. This is big news. Two things happened. Kerwin Danley and, you know, it's funny. He got more attention than Alfonso Marquez. Um, I'm not sure why that is. Alfonso Marquez was named the first Mexican-American umpire crew chief in Major League Baseball. Kerwin Danley was named the first African-American umpire, crew chief in Major League Baseball. Congratulations. It's too bad that it's noteworthy, isn't it? Do you know that right now we have one African-American GM? That's the uh, Mike Hill. Remember when Bruce Sherman said that we were all irrelevant, that the previous ownership was irrelevant? Remember we talked about that? But all of a sudden, Mike Hill is still there. Their are president of baseball operations who was there with us. And he's done an unbelievable job, might I add, because he knows how to actually run a team. And I'm not just saying that because I don't have to. One, you know how many African-American managers we have? Two, Dusty Baker became the second. Ironically, Dave Roberts of the Dodgers. It could be a Dodgers Astros World Series, two African-American managers. We've talked about the Selig rule. We've talked about the Rooney rule. It's a major deal. Why is it that there aren't more African-Americans? Why aren't there more African-American umpires? Why is this the first time? Well, MLB has done something about it, and it's made a difference. They created an umpire camp, and this is the first year that there's now a full-time, there's a full-time Dominican umpire who went through the MLB, MLB camp who was just tired. I don't know his name yet, which is just the point, because eventually we will. The fact is there is one. So MLB is trying. What do I tell you about Kerwin Danley? In my 18 years with him, we did not have, I did not have one issue with him. Not even one. Alfonso Marquez, another great umpire. It reminded me when I was, you know, it's funny, umpires. Did I have issues with umpires? I did, right? I would spend some time, I would go into the umpires back before Marlins Park was open. We had rain delays. I was in the umpires room every single game talking about rain, talking about whether or not the game was going to be delayed. I got to know all the umpires. I was not the guy from the first row yelling at an umpire during the game. I would wait until I was in front of the umpire. And I'm not going to hide behind a sea of fans. I'm not going to interrupt a game to say, that was a strike. You missed that call. He was out at the plate. That was never how I operated a team. But I would always talk to umpires. I would tell them every time there was a problem. Angel Hernandez, CB Buckner are two examples of umpires who I had problems with always, because they're just bad umpires. And that's not personal. It's bad analytically. It's bad from a data standpoint. They miss calls. They're not consistent. It never bothered me when home plate umpires had a different strike zone one night versus another, one umpire versus another. All we asked of the umpires is to be consistent. If you want to call no low strikes for a particular game because your back hurts and you don't want to bend down and see the low strike, I kid you not, I've heard umpires tell me that. I get it. My back hurts from doing the show just for 45 minutes a day sitting up straight. I get it. I don't want to bend over. I'm only going to call a high strike. Fine. You got to do it for both teams. Just be consistent. Angel Hernandez, CB Buckner, they can't be consistent. Favorite umpire story I just thought of. So umpires are very, very, many of them egomaniacal. Sort of like executives and players. There's a lot of ego if you're going to be in sports. You get a lot of attention. And there was an umpire named Jerry Lane. Jerry Lane is a big, burly guy. Jerry Lane was calling a game. And this was at, uh, I don't remember whether this was a pro player or Marlins Park. I'm so bad remembering years. But it was one year, one game. Jerry Lane is behind the plate, and he misses a call. Flat out misses it. And we're arguing. The manager goes out. The manager's arguing. There's a whole lot going on. And our in-game entertainment people, those are the people who decide what music is going to be played. Those are the people who sort of keep you entertained. They put a song by the Beatles on called Penny Lane. Penny Lane is in my something and in my something. Try to Shazam that. You'll never get it. But it's called Penny Lane. After the game, Jerry Lane demanded an immediate meeting with me immediate meeting with my head of in-game entertainment, called us into the training, into the umpire's locker room, screaming, veins bulging out of his head, (coughs) totally red. He was so red from anger. He said, I want that employee fired. You will fire the person who played the song Penny Lane. That was making fun of me, and under the rules, you are not allowed to make fun of umpires. You fire him now. I'm reporting you to Central Baseball. Do you know what I said to him? And he and I joked about it years later. I said, hey, um, Jerry, can I give you some some word of advice here? Our head of in-game entertainment, who's deciding what songs to play, has no idea what your name is at all. Jerry Lane looked at me and said, are you telling me? that the people deciding what music to play have no idea what my name is. And by coincidence, while I made a bad call and I'm in an argument with your manager and the song Penny Lane comes on and he didn't know that I'm Jerry Lane, I looked at him and this is, this was my line. I said, Jerry, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. That's a true story about Jerry Lane. Pick of the day, um, don't shut me off. I can't win. I cannot win, so this is what I have to do. I have to go with Carmelo Anthony. Who cares what team he plays for? Who cares what the line is? If I'm going with Carmelo Anthony to save me from a record drought, then you know very well that I am so desperate that I'm willing to play handball on a street curb. And that's what it means to count on Carmelo Anthony to save me from this rut of complete and utter incompetence. Portland Trailblazers will cover against the Indiana Pacers. By the way, there's no chance they'll cover. Okay, wait to see. You know what those are. We're accountable. We'll tell you when it's going to happen, when it's not going to happen. And when it does happen, we're going to take credit for it. When it doesn't, I'm going to take the blame. The Houston Rockets have uh, decided they're going to play small ball. I don't know if you're paying attention to the NBA right now. You're thinking the Milwaukee Bucks are going to win the title. I told you they would. They're going for the all-time... Record. They're trying to win seventy three games to tie. Seventy three would actually beat the record. Seventy three and nine is the record. Coca. What's the record in the NBA? What's the record? Se- seventy three and nine. The Bucks are going for the record. Seventy three and nine. They're trying to win as many as they can. They're the best team in basketball, no doubt. The Rockets are doing something that no one's ever done. They are actually trying to play small ball. It is great with Russell Westbrook, with James Harden, with Eric Gordon. They actually have a chance to be really good. In the regular season. You cannot win in the playoffs with the type of team they've got together. And their owner is a guy named Tillman Fertitta. He's loaded, which is why he has a name, Tillman Fertitta. He said, none of us fear the Lakers or the Clippers or Denver like we feared Golden State. It's not like how we were ever scared of Golden State. And do you know why he said that? Because he's trying to convince his own team, the Rockets, that they have a chance, given the moves made by the front office, to go small like this, to go so outside the box that they have an actual chance of advancing in the postseason. They do not. They will lose in the first round. That's my way to see. The Houston Rockets will lose in the first round. And the next time I see Mr. Fertita, which won't be the first, I will say, hey, listen, you made those decisions. When I give you my way to seize, it's always business. It's nothing personal.
0: MyPatriotSupply.com